0: Good afternoon and thank you so much for being with us on this very busy Friday afternoon. We are going to have several updates during the program today on fires burning in this province as well as what is happening with the evacuation of much of the city of Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories. Many people from that city making their way to Alberta, some coming here to B.C. But we are starting today looking to West Kelowna and what is happening with a large wildfire burning in that area.
1: We know that people are anxious to know the status of their home while we have teams who are looking towards the future and what recovery will look like, but this is still a very active fire situation. Our immediate focus is on protecting our community as best we can.
0: That from a news conference just a short time ago, talking about the overnight efforts to fight the McDougall Creek wildfire. Jules Knox is joining us now. Jules is a global Okanagan reporter. And thank you so much, Jules, for taking some time to bring us up to date today. Thanks for having me. What's the situation there now?
2: Well, the situation is very scary here. It's hot, it's dry. The fire chief says we are facing another very difficult day and a difficult night. He described this battle in West Kelowna as 100 years of firefighting all in one night, and he called it a fire chief's worst nightmare. Last night, we just heard from him. He said that emergency responders were trapped because they were rescuing members of the public, and some other evacuees had to be rescued from the water after they jumped in the water in Trader's Cove. Um, To give you an update, we've also heard from him that there's no confirmed loss of life at this point, but many homes have burned to the ground We could see flames from several buildings as they burned across the lake last night. Now, officials won't confirm any numbers at this point. When when asked if it was dozens, the fire chief says he wouldn't say yet. He said he wants to do this properly, but he called the losses absolutely gut-wrenching
0: and uh, and Jill, some of the footage i know that your crews are gathering and people in the area are are taking from even across the lake like you said in some of those in some of those videos you can see the homes burning but uh, like you said so we're going to have to wait a while i suppose until they figure out or they they give a better idea on those numbers and potentially how much has been lost
2: that's right we're going to have to wait to learn because this is an active fire so they don't have the resources necessarily to go um, send somebody to the ground there and figure out the homes that are lost. They're also still within that area. They're still facing spot fires. Power lines are down. It's not safe to send them those resources to uh, count the homes that are lost right now. And, and they're, they're still battling the blaze. And I think that's the main priority here. Um, we just learned about new evacuation orders in Lake Country. So this fire, while we're in, they haven't been able to say with certainty that it jumped the lake. Certainly, they said that the evidence suggested that it probably did jump the lake and it has since sparked fires in, like, in McKinley Landing and uh, Wilden in Kelowna. So it's very scary. Many resources are being pulled in. You can see firefighters from all around our province right now um, just battling and getting here. There's going to be a surge within the next 24 hours of resources coming in because these firefighters have been working nonstop. The fire chief themselves said, he was on the front lines at 2 a.m. last night, and he said it was the firefight of his career, of everybody's careers. He describes the risks that they were, that he said he couldn't hold his crew back from taking those risks to try to save lives, to try to save properties. It was a very scary night for all involved.
0: And like you mentioned as well, and uh, the fire chief addressed this at that news conference, the fact that uh, fire crews were helping to uh, rescue some people that stayed behind. And and I would imagine people stayed behind not knowing uh, exactly what was happening. And the fact that this fire grew from, I think it was 1,100 hectares to, it's now 6,800 hectares. So a lot of growth overnight. Uh, But I also heard uh, one of the, the officials at the news conference saying, thankfully, a lot of people did evacuate in a very orderly fashion. What's it like there Or as far as where are people going that are now having to leave those areas?
2: Well, I think that a lot of people have other places, friends and family to go to. Um, We were at the evacuation centre initially yesterday, and this was before more places had rolled out out the evacuation orders. Uh, But when I was speaking with some of the officials there, they actually said that a lot of people register online um, to receive those services, and then they tend to go to friends or family. So I think right now at this point, a lot of people have friends or family they might be able to stay with in Kelowna. Um, they have opened up Prospera Place, which is kind of like our main hockey rink here, um, as group lodging for options, as options for people that don't have anywhere else to go. Um, and, but as you know, it's peak tourist season in the Okanagan, so hotels
0: and accommodation are booked. So there's not a lot of options um, available for officials to find them lodging elsewhere. And Jules, like you said, this is still a very active fire, and firefighters, uh, more resources coming to the area. Uh, What is it like in the area as far as smoke and and just generally uh, how it's how it's feeling there today?
2: It's smoky. I would say that it's like the shadow, the cloud over the city. Like I'm downtown Kelowna right now, and you can just see the fire. You can't go downtown. You know, like looking across the lake, and you just see West Kelowna, all this fire. You look in the other direction there's more smoke. So it's a very heavy feeling. I, I think everybody here knows somebody that's been evacuated or under alert or nervously watching, fear fearing, legitimately fearing for their home. And many people don't know if their homes are still standing right now. And they might not. When we were speaking with officials yesterday, they said, people need to leave. And we don't know when they're going to be able to go back.
0: Well Jules I appreciate I know it's a busy day for you today as well covering this so thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Coming up, we are going to get an update on the wildfire situation in BC. Our Minister of Emergency Management and Climate Readiness, as well as the Minister of Forests, will be joined by BC wildfire officials, and we are going to take you to that news conference live. That is expected to happen around 1 o'clock this afternoon, so stay tuned. We will have the very latest on that, but right now we're taking another look at a funding announcement we talked about earlier in the week. This is when the Federal Housing Minister, Sean Fraser, was in town, saying that Ottawa is going to provide almost $500 million in loans for new rental housing in Vancouver, that there will be nine locations. Uh, We know one of those locations is in the River District. The other one is at UBC. It's unclear where the other locations will be, but he talked about the fact that by doing this, the rental units will come online, and these will be rental units that will be offered, in many cases, below market value, in alignment, with average salaries and he said they would also be offered at 30 percent of the median household income. Well it all sounds great but is this really something that can be done? Well John Stovell joins us now the CEO of Reliance Properties. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Yeah. Good afternoon.
0: I'm curious your thoughts on this because there weren't a whole lot of details about how this was going to go ahead. I know there were some concerns as well that this is a fund that development companies could apply for loans, but they might also have to show that the project had already been approved to get the loans. What is your take on this announcement and this almost $500 million?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, on the face of it, it's it's always welcome when 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 any level of government, particularly the federal government, who's been kind of... A wall on on the housing matter for years, you know, does step up and try to make things, you know, more achievable to build rental housing. I do question whether this is really new funding. As as I read the coverage, it seems to me that it really is 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 being done through um, well, CMHC's, you know, the government's mortgage insurer lending arm, uh, existing RCFI program. And given that some of these projects are already under construction, I. I and, and, and those programs do require a level of affordability to receive, uh, you know, inexpensive financing. I, I think these may well just be projects that are already, you know, running through the government's existing systems. And, I, and I'm a little bit skeptical that the government, federal government's come under the gun in recent weeks for, for kind of being, you know, indifferent to housing issues and are really just kind of announcing things that are already going on. But I mean, I guess the positive thing about it is it shows that, you know, we've got their attention. I think, really for the federal government to get serious about addressing housing issues they 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 need a much more broad-based systemic response to a whole number of issues that are that they administer that are that are putting downward pressure on our ability to build new rental housing that's affordable
0: uh, well, and the housing minister did talk about the fact that uh, he was excited uh, and uh, saying that uh, it was time that the federal government get back involved with housing. Uh, so when you talk about other things that uh, the federal government, government needs to do, what would, what would that look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, you, do, you know, you, you don't need to go too far to, to find some of these ideas. I mean, you know, my, my role in the Urban Development Institute over the years and as past chairs, we, we've made many, many submissions to federal housing ministers over the years about things that they can do directly. One of the easiest ones would be something that the, the, the Prime Minister promised he would do immediately when he was first elected, which is to um, eliminate the GST on, on new rental housing. If you build new rental housing, or even renovate substantially existing rental housing, you have to pay the government GST on the entire value of the land and the building of that. And this on large housing, rental housing projects, this adds up to millions of millions of dollars. They also have a GST rebate um, for rental housing that uses the same unit value across the entire country. So it doesn't help at all in Toronto or, Vancouver, where the unit cost of housing is much expensive, so so most rental projects that you build in Vancouver, Toronto don't qualify for any of the rebates. So, not only are we paying GST in the full amount, we can't even get the rebate. Um, you know, other things the federal government had done in the past um, in the 70s uh, and, and the early 80s, when when there was a huge uh, wave of uh, rental housing built under what was called the MURB program. They used to give tax uh, credits to private investors who were willing to invest in purpose-built rental housing, and it was a very successful program. And, you know, we have to remember here, federal government's talking about making financing cheaper for some rental housing projects, but the realities of the way rental housing works is about 50 cents of every dollar of the cost of rental housing has to come from equity, not from debt, not from debt, even if that debt is made cheaper by government. Somebody has to decide to put their own investment money in, in into that unit and, for, you know, 50 cents of every dollar to build a building. So a $500 million rental building, somebody has to come up with $250 million. And, and typically that's been, in Canada in a recent decade, that's been pension funds, like BC Employees Pension Fund and Tarot Teachers Pension Fund, so on. Uh, CPP, you know, Canadian Pension Plan, they currently are not investing in rental housing because the or they've drastically cut back because the returns are very challenged and the costs are too high. And so you can't just fix this by fixing financing. You have to find ways to induce investors to put more money into building new rental housing or improving existing rental housing.
0: Interesting you mentioned that and the fact that this is perhaps a bit of a re-announcement. And even when we talked to City Councillor Pete Fry, he mentioned that there was already a project that was built in the River District and this one at UBC. And he talked about the fact that he had talked to another developer who had tried to get money from this project. But again, there was an issue of the project hadn't already been approved. And then it was right. a question of, well, do you need the approval before you apply for the loan and vice Versa and and making things a little more difficult. So, so I think, yeah, you're right. This isn't a brand new announcement or or a brand new fund by any stretch. But
1: and the devil is in the details. And you know, you know, you know, ironically, CMHC, Canada Housing Mortgage Corporation, who administers this what's called RCFI program, which provides high ratio and reduced cost financing if you if you create a certain number of the units. Um, that are at a certain you know rent rent to income ratio which is a you know great idea they recently you know jacked up all their insurance fees just just four or five months ago with that and so you know they're kind of talking out of both sides of the mouth they're they're saying they want more of this but they're increasing the fees um, many developers find these programs are, are as you say they're very difficult like you 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 get a finance commitment and then you know six eight months ten months later you know what your actual construction costs are but your your, the amount of debts already fixed at that point and you know you may have to put in a lot more of your own money so you know what we should really be working on at federal government level is, is is finding ways to you know a cut down on the time and bureaucracy that goes with getting permits for these projects and they could do that by offering municipalities you know infrastructure incentives to to speed up and 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 be more liberal with efficient with housing approvals they they should they should find ways to induce investors private individuals and corporations and pension funds to 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 come back to the rental market with you know that 50 cents on every dollar and and they should you know they should get rid of the gst on new rental housing i mean on a new rental housing project couple we're working on i mean we'd literally be writing checks to the federal government at the end for you know, four or five million dollars of GST. Hmm. It adds up to 50000 dollars a unit.
0: Hmm. And when you when you put it like that too, it really doesn't sound all that attractive or all that enticing to to even go out for one of these loans or that it would make it worth it. I'm curious as well. Some of the conditions that the federal minister talked about, saying that the 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 rental buildings would offer units below market value, and it said he said that if if prices are at risk of going up or rent is at risk of going up, it can only do so if wages in the city are also going up. How is something like that even enforced, or does that also kind of scare away a developer if that's something that you have to think about?
1: Well, of course, another huge issue with rental housing is, and, and this is more at the provincial level, is the, mm-hmm. the massive uncertainty for a rental investor on, on regulations. Like, for instance, in the last number of years, uh, whereas before uh, a landlord could raise their rent by inflation, every year the provincial government has been forcing landlords to not even be able to get inflation rent increases. So, um, you know, the government meddling in, in, in trying to hold rents below market or tie them to wages or something is quite concerning. And it's interesting that, that we talk about, you know, all rent being all rentals being unaffordable, but the reality is all rentals are rented the, the vacancy rate in Vancouver is one percent or less. So there are people and, and you know, every single unit is rented and, and often has a lineup. So are they really not affordable? Should should they be more affordable? Should we try to get more of them to be at lower rents? For sure. I mean there's many people who 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 can't, you know, make it in Vancouver, but but having government try to force um, landlords into offering units um, at below what the market will bear is all that's going to do is drive investment away from the rental housing sector and as I said, fifty cents of every dollar of the cost of rental housing has to come from somebody choosing to take the money they've earned and and invested in rental housing so i'm I'm not a proponent of, of, at all of the government trying to tie rents to wages or something because if if if, if, if you were to tell a landlord you could only rent at you know holistically at at, you know, you know, where somebody's rent is only 30% of their wages, nobody will build any new rental housing.
0: Right. And, and so, and, and just kind of to sum up as well, the, some of the things that you mentioned then, the removing of the GST uh, regulation, that type of thing, it sounds like there could be other things that the federal government or governments at other levels too could be doing if they really wanted to make this more attractive and get people like, interested more in building more rental housing.
1: Yeah, they all can. And, and, you know, there's been plenty of reports published in in recent months out of EDI and other Ryan and other tax advisory group that the the percentage of costs of of a new housing unit, um, if you add up all the government charges um, that are coming against creating that housing unit, it's something like between 20 and 25 percent of the total cost now. Hmm. So the first thing the government should do is try to get their hand out of the cookie jar. And stop trying to, to, to take so much you know, money away from the formulation of housing and make it easier for uh, investors and developers to build housing and compete with each other and, and drive down the cost of, of housing. And if you, if you only want to measure one thing, like forget all the announcements and all the statistics, just look at one thing. In any community, as long as the vacancy rate is below 3 or 4%, you've got a huge housing problem. So while all these announcements keep getting made about this types of financing and this grant and this program, all the while that vacancy rate has remained at around one percent. And until we see that vacancy rate climb, it's all just talk.
0: John Stovell, thank you so much. Always great to have you on the show. Thanks for doing this today. Okay, thank you. Well, the numbers continue to grow. More than 23,500 British Columbians are now under evacuation alert. There are about 4,500 British Columbians under an evacuation order, and it is expected those numbers will get bigger given the fire activity that we're seeing now and the potential for more fire activity throughout the weekend. Well, joining me now is Angus Dunlop. Angus Dunlop was in West Kelowna last night. That is the area now under an evacuation order. Angus, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us today.
3: No problem, Jill. Thank you for uh, for having me on. Uh,
0: can you tell us how things unfolded?
3: Well, yeah, I'm close to the top of, of Rose Valley Estates, which is at the top of uh, West Kelowna. And, and we, so throughout the day, we heard the air traffic dropping buckets into Rose Valley Reservoir, and it just you know, ramped up in the in the afternoon as as winds picked up and and things got um, a lot more radical quickly.
0: Could you see the fire from where you were?
3: Uh, not until we left. Um, the McDougall Rim or McDougal Ridge is is sufficiently behind us that we could only see the smoke plume until about seven o'clock at night when things had blown sort of further north towards Trader's Cove, uh, which is as an elevation down below us. And at that point, yes, we could see the flames um, actively, which is, you know, ramps up the tension exponentially.
0: Oh, I, I can only imagine. And at that point, then, how did you find out that the fire had moved to the point where there was now an evacuation order and you had to leave?
3: Well, I I use the the B.C. Wildfire Service app um, because it's just part of living in the Okanagan um, now, which notifies me of things in the area, but also local media outlets were, um, you know, covering these sorts of things extensively. So as various neighborhoods and streets were were being upgraded from alerts to orders, uh, we were just sort of staying on top of it out of caution.
0: How long have you lived in the West Kelowna area?
3: Um, 20, 23 years.
0: All right, so you would remember, you, you've been through, I would imagine, maybe not to this extent, to, to, this, to this level, but been through uh, forest fires and alerts in the past.
3: I, 100%. I mean, we I, were, well, very pedestrian in, in simply watching the 2003 fire as it swept through southeast Kelowna. Uh, but, you know, subsequent to that, there's been, well, qu- quite honestly, a, a half dozen major incidents on the west side. This is the third time we've been formally evacuated and, and there's probably been three or four other years where there's alerts that didn't fully impact us. But uh, unfortunately, we're getting pretty seasoned at it. Hmm.
0: And where did you go then when you did find out that you had to leave and get out of that area? Where did you go and what was that like when people started leaving?
3: Well, it, it wasn't as chaotic as I had expected when people were leaving, but I think throughout the day, some people were leaving sooner than later, so there wasn't a lot of traffic chaos. But and we went downhill and over the bridge. You know, we had many friends locally going, "Hey, if you need a spot." But we went across the bridge into town, and then we're in in the southern area of Kelowna. For any of your people that know. Kelowna, we're sort of south of the hospital down towards the El Dorado Hotel and and stuff like that. So hopefully out of the firing line. Hmm.
0: And with the the flames, like you said, then when you saw the flames when you were you were leaving and getting out of there, um, what was that like? Because, I, like you say, you've kind of gone through this before, and we talk about wildfires every every year, and people being told have what you need to take with you in case you need to get out quick. But uh, talking about it is one thing. Actually being in that scenario where I guess you're grabbing whatever you can, or you've organized that, and hopping in a vehicle, and and just getting out of that area. Area is is got to be pretty stressful?
3: Yeah, and it is. We we did have the luxury of a, a little bit of time to you know look at okay, what is really important? What can't you replace, or what do you need later tonight, like medications, or tomorrow morning, like your laptop? Um, but you know, w- when we decided finally to get out of Dodge, it wasn't until you we were you know literally ca- crossing the bridge and looked over our shoulder back back up to our neighborhood and go, wow, that's, that's a crazy scene. That's apocalyptic. Hmm.
0: Uh, We we heard today that there have been structures lost, uh, no real specifics, at least not coming from officials at this point. But from what you could see and where the fire was, is that any surprise that that there have been structures lost in this fire?
3: No, not at all. I mean, we could see them crossing the bridge because you can tell the difference between a tree and and a house, even at a kilometer away, the way it burns. And after getting up this morning, I've got at least three friends who have all lost their their home.
0: Hmm. Do you know if your home is okay?
3: Yeah, yeah, I do right now. Thankfully, it's a, a little bit out of the, the path because of the winds right now. Um, power was out for a while last evening, which is understandable, but it was restored by BC Hydro. And so that activates um, some security cameras and stuff on the property. And that tells me that it's still standing, hmm.
1: which is nice.
0: Uh, for, for sure. That's got to be, though, uh, to, to hear from friends in the same area that their houses are, are gone from one day to the next, gone to the fire. That's just got to be, I don't know, even, even somewhat surreal.
3: Yeah, it is. You know, they're now facing down what we only hypothesized yesterday, and like, oh, what do you t- you take your your bikes, your laptop, the you know what cherished items do you have? And now, you know, we hope that they've made those similar decisions and, and have most of those things, but they've now got a long road ahead of them to rebuild.
0: We heard from officials as well that firefighters last night had to spend some time rescuing people, that some people stayed behind. I guess really not not grasping how quickly the fire was moving or how volatile the situation was. But are you surprised at all that some of the residents didn't evacuate, that they stayed behind?
3: No. I mean, the world's full of different people and, and knuckleheads included. <laughs>
0: Uh, what do you do now, Angus? Obviously, I mean, that, that, that's uh, good that you're able to see your property or, or see it through the security cameras and, and you've got to safety. Uh, what do you do now? Is it monitoring the situation or, or is there anything else I wonder that you can do?
3: No, it, it's monitoring the situation. I mean, Kelowna generally woke up to very clear skies this morning and it's been smoky for the last week or 10 days. And it was very clear because the winds that created this chaos has, have blown everything north. And so all you could see was blue sky and then plumes of smoke. That's fundamentally shifted in the last two hours. And now the valley is, is covered in a layer of smoke and it's driving, unfortunately, the, this fire off of the Rose Valley Ridge and to, more towards Kelowna than up the lake, which is what created all the problems yesterday.
0: Hmm. That's got to be something to see and watching that, like you said, going from blue sky and now to, to such a change in such a, smart, uh, a short amount of time.
3: Yeah, I mean, the winds are, are ferocious right now. It, the, you know, the white caps on Okanagan Lake um, are, are there, but the, the winds, you know, they, they don't indicate how strong the winds appear to be right now, it's, it, which is the real culprit in all this.
0: Well, Angus, I'm glad that you were able to get out and get out of the area in time and that your house is still standing, although, like you said, not the case for some of your neighbors. Thank you so much for taking the time for joining us today and stay safe.
3: Well, thank you for your concern about the um, Okanagan Valley and, and you as well.
0: Joining us now to talk about the McDougall Creek Fire and what is happening in the West Kelowna area is West Kelowna Mayor Gord Milsom. Mayor, thank you so much. I know it's an extremely busy and stressful day, so thank you so much for taking some time.
4: Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to be with you here. Thank you.
0: What can you tell us at this point? We know that officials have said there has been significant structure lost. The good news is that at last, at the last news conference, they said there was no loss of life reported at this point. What can you tell us about the structure loss and the damage caused by this fire?
4: I. Uh- I can't give you any specifics because they haven't been provided to me. Uh, and uh, I, hopefully I'll, I'll have some of that information in the near future. But certainly it is, uh, it's a real sad situation. Anytime there is any loss of homes, it's, it's very devastating for the families involved. Uh, but I, I can't provide any numbers at this time.
0: All right. So we did talk to a resident earlier who he was one of the many people who were caught in that evacuation order and had to leave. He said that he could confirm that his house was still standing, but some of his friends, they knew that their homes had been lost. So how do you even brace people for the fact that they could be getting this news that their homes are some of those structures that have been lost?
4: Well, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. I I know myself. I just uh, I was in a uh, shop recently, and and there was a lady sitting down, and she was uh, she was crying. And I I approached her and said, you know, you know, are, are you okay? And she told me she got a call uh, that she lost her home, and uh, so it's really uh, gut wrenching to see these situations. And uh, I, I, you know, I. I'm not part of the EOC, the you know, the Emergency Operating, uh, Operating Center Operations, and uh, there's a process to inform those individuals that have lost their homes. Um, uh, you know, all we can do is extend our uh, condolences to those individuals, and uh, I know that our fire department and uh, Be- Wildfire BC and other fire departments, other teams are working very, very hard to save as many homes as they can.
0: Uh, We also know that some of the fire crews last night uh, were uh, were in that area and had to stomp and take time to help rescue people, get people to safety who had stayed behind, uh, even though there was that evacuation order. What do you say to residents at this point where that fire is still burning, it's grown significantly since yesterday, uh, about respecting when those orders are made?
4: Yeah, well, as soon as an order impacts a... uh, a street or a neighborhood, it's important that, uh, that the residents leave immediately. Leave immediately. Uh, because not only are they put their own lives at risk, but the, the lives of, uh, of uh, our frontline workers at risk, our firefighters and police officers and others. So it's critical that uh, they uh, they leave immediately. And those that are under evacuation alert, that they also prepare. You know, gather their essential uh, documents, medications, uh, make sure they have armations for their pets, and uh, get re- you know be ready to leave uh, if uh, if the order is given and i say this this is a challenging fire and uh i i wouldn't be surprised if there's more orders coming uh, coming down uh, over the next uh, few hours so we're just going to have to wait and see um, what the winds uh, how the winds are and uh how the fire continues to uh, to to move it's very dynamic
0: are you yourself personally under evacuation order or alert
4: no i'm not personally no uh no but when i have a time i do spend uh as much time here in the emergency service center with our residents, and uh, and uh, you know, try to uh, provide as much comfort as I can. Uh, I guess the uh, you know one comforting thought or, or or reality is is that we have a strong unified response with with, with all of our uh, the firefighters, police, uh, emergency services. So we there's a great co- coordinated effort to. Uh, to minimize the damage and certainly, you know, public safety is, is, is our top priority.
0: You mentioned the winds and we've been hearing from people as well saying they saw blue sky one moment and then the winds kind of shifted and then suddenly it was smoke and the fire was moving. Can you kind of describe with the winds and what's happening right now? What, what is the current situation there?
4: Well, you know, they 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 can change. I mean, I've been in the office here just uh, at City Hall for the last hour or so, so I'm not actually out there right now feeling them. But there are strong winds right right now, and uh, uh, you know, if if they go back towards the fire, that's a good thing. But if they go in another direction, it can be uh, again uh, some very serious implications of that for our community. Um, so, very very uh, dynamic situation, very fluid. And uh, it's going to be challenging uh, throughout the day and throughout the evening as well.
0: Uh, Certainly, uh, people in that area, uh, probably yourself as well, uh, have been uh, under evacuation alert before. Uh, We were talking earlier that this is actually the 20 years. It's been 20 years since the Okanagan Mountain Fire that uh, destroyed, I think it was almost 240 homes uh, in 2003. Uh, Were the conditions extremely dry or what what were things like uh, leading up to the start uh, just before this fire started?
4: You mean the fire right now the McDougall Creek fire? Our fire extremely dry, definitely here uh, within the uh, central Okanagan. You know, we've had temperatures you know in mid mid thirties, which actually happens quite quite often in the month of August, uh, but also we we're in a, we've been in a pretty well a drought situation uh throughout throughout the the province uh, as you know and uh yeah so that, we haven't had much rain lately at all and um the uh, the snow melt it uh, the, that that occurred you know the earlier on uh this year uh so it's it's extremely dry and with the winds it's it's a it's a a very dangerous situation this is a very serious uh, powerful f- wildfire that uh, we're facing here
0: and you mentioned that residents should be uh, ready or should perhaps anticipate more orders so do do you think with the the fire the growth that we've seen now uh, last uh, check uh, officials were saying it was burning at about 6800 hectares uh, is it your understanding that uh, that that could grow that there could be potentially then more orders
4: That's a very strong possibility that that will take place, yes.
0: And where is everyone going? I know as well that this is a very popular time in West Kelowna and Kelowna as far as the tourist season. And with this happening so quickly, are there places that people are able to go?
4: Yeah, there are group lodging uh, the, uh, places uh, here. Uh, there's a the gym there on the West Bank First Nations land that uh, they've made available. And I do believe Prospera Place, there's going to be some group lodging there as well in Kelowna. Uh, but really, you know, if, if folks can find, uh, evacuees can find uh, some lodging with friends or family, uh, that would be, you know, ideal. Um, I believe it most of the hotels and are pretty well full with with tourists. uh so there is some lodging available but it's it's uh it it may be uh, a greater problem than it right now if there's more uh, evacuation orders
0: Uh, We heard uh, through a statement, the Premier put out a statement earlier today uh, saying that uh, our hearts are with the people, the communities that are being affected by wildfires. Uh, Others have questioned why he has not declared a province-wide or a state of emergency. Do you think there needs to be a state of emergency declared province-wide?
4: no i i i can't speak to that you know we declared a a local state of emergency here for the city and uh, i'd leave you know i do appreciate by the way the support we've been receiving from the province i received calls from minister ma as well as from the uh, the premier Uh, but no i leave uh, we're kind of focused on uh, our situation right here right now and uh, i think it probably best ask uh, the uh, the premier that question
0: All right, Mayor Milsom, thank you so much. Again, I know it's a very, very busy time, so thank you so much for your time.
4: Okay, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune in to the Jill Bennett Show live from noon till 3 on 980 CKNW. Have a question or comment? Send me an email, jill at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.